The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth, the heights of the His, the heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Amen. that you are the one, the true, the only God who is high and lifted up in glory and majesty and that the holiness of your character is without question. Lord, we pray as we gather together as your people today that we would worship you in spirit and in truth according to your word, that in the splendor of your holiness we would bask in delight today. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would cry out to you in a way that is pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we join our hearts together as your people to pray now as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, our hymnal on page 845, I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who wait for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing hymn number 342, Christ is made the sure foundation.
At this time, we have uh, the honor and the privilege to honor two of our young people who have graduated from high school. And I wanted to ask if Lane and Zoe would come forward at this time. Zoe, it's a privilege to honor you both today and wanted to ask if you would tell us um, if you know, and if, if you don't know, that's fine, uh, what you plan to do after this summer, if you're working or maybe going to college, uh, and how we might be able to pray with you and pray for you. Zoe, do you mind starting? Sure. <laughs> um, I'm planning to go to UNC Pembroke to play volleyball, and I'm majoring in the school there. Okay. Are you working at all over the summer? I am not. I just finished. I was working after school originally, so okay. I'm not working next summer. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly sure if I'm going further in my schooling or not. Um, okay. I guess one way y'all can pray for me is just to find my calling and what my vocation is going to be, but I am planning on working okay. a lot over the summer and this school year. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both for sharing with us, and uh, we want to pray with you now. But also wanted to give you a gift, um, just love and appreciation of both of you. Congratulations to you and also to your families to be done with school. And uh, what, a, what a joy and an accomplishment to be done. And as we get ready to pray with you and to pray for you, uh, that we pray that the Lord would be with you, fill you with His Spirit, He would give you wisdom and knowledge. And to our young people, what an accomplishment to be done with high school, uh, to, to finish school, and to see that the Lord is the one leading them, that they are going to do what the Lord has called them to, and that He will graciously fill them. What a privilege to see this today and to celebrate Zoe and Lane together. Let me pray with us. Father, what a privilege it is to honor these two dear young ladies. And Lord, I do pray for both of them that you would fill them with your spirit, that as they have finished school, that they would look to you to lead them in this next stage of life. Lord, I pray that you give them courage and wisdom and great discretion as they think about spending their lives to spread the gospel, to further your kingdom, to grow as young women, and to know what it means to live a life following you. Lord, I pray that you would use all that you have taught them here at Lebanon to guide them, that you would be the center of their universe and that they would go forth knowing that you are with them and that they serve you. Lord, I pray that you would order their steps, that you would protect them as they go, that all of the fiery darts of the enemy uh, would not be able to quench their faith. And Lord, we trust and believe that you are guiding them, that you have filled them with truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them a lot of joy and delight in all that they do. May they have a good summer and a good time as they look forward to seeing what you have for them in these next days. In your name, amen. Thank you. Yes, certainly. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading on page 810, Psalm 69. Verses 19 to 36.
page 810, uh, beginning at the top, Psalm 69, verses 19 to 36. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Amen. As we continue to worship, let's stand together and sing hymn number 521, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
And as we go to the throne of grace for this time of pastoral prayer, let us join our hearts together as we approach our Heavenly Father together as His people. We pray to a God who hears us, who hears our prayers, who knows our needs before we even mention them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before You in Your presence. We thank You that You are a God who does hear us and who delights to hear the prayers of Your people. And we join our hearts together now as we pray to You, asking, Lord, that You would change us as we are in Your presence, as we worship You, as we sing praises, as we open our Bibles and read Your Word, and as we hear Your Word proclaimed, the great Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, His perfect and sinless life, His glorious resurrection, and our hope in Him. Lord, we pray that You would encourage the hearts of Your people. Lord, I do pray also for those who are struggling today, who on the outside might look no different than anyone else, but on the inside are riddled with cares and concerns of this world and many things that do keep them up at night and awake during the day and trouble their mind. Lord, I pray that You would be comfort to Your people by Your Spirit that You would remind us of sweet and precious promises that You have given us in Your Word. And I pray for those who do struggle in mind and body and in soul, that You would be with them, that as You promised, You would send the great comforter to them, the Holy Spirit, that they may have a sense of Your abiding presence and be confirmed in the truth of the Gospel, that You said, I will never leave You nor forsake You. Lord, I pray today for our graduates I pray, Lord, that they would have a lot of joy and delight in knowing that they have made it to this accomplishment that you have brought them to through a lot of hard work and many years. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with faith to know that it is you who are guiding their steps even as they go into the unknown now. And I pray for their families, Lord, for mom and dad who see their young baby girl going into a different chapter of life that will be different. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with grace, that they would trust you as they entrust their daughters to you, that they would believe and hope in your protection and your care, and that you are the one guiding them, and that all the years that you have given them to invest, that they have invested, and that they don't look back with regret, but look and see the hand of the Savior in their family. And Lord, I pray that you would fill them with hope as they entrust their children to you, as the rest of us do, that it is you who lead and guide. It is you who is on the throne. And Lord, we do thank you and we praise you for your work that you are doing in the world. We lift up to you your servant, Joel Brown. And Lord, we pray for him, that you would give him wisdom and recall in his mind as he studies for licensure exams. And as he prepares to be here next Sunday to share in Sunday school and also to preach the gospel during our service of worship. Lord, we pray that you would fill him with your spirit. Give him the words to say that they would be clear. And may our hearts be encouraged as we hear from you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 24 to 29 this morning. The sermon is entitled, Two Houses. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we come to the end of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And we conclude our series Kingdom life in a fallen world. Jesus finishes his sermon with four pairs of two options. The repetition is significant in this passage because it shows us, Jesus teaches us, that there are only two ways to live. In the last pair, Jesus describes two types of builders and two houses that appear on the outside to be the same. There really doesn't appear to be any exterior difference to distinguish them until the storms come. Jesus says that this represents two types of people, one who obeys him and one who doesn't. The only the one according to the scripture, according to the outward appearances, looks no different than the other. But in the end, the differences are extremely critical. Perhaps the greatest mistake that you and I could make as we look at this text of Scripture, as we finish the Sermon on the Mount, is to believe that God would allow us into heaven because we've been able to make ourselves look and sound like someone who belongs to Him, but haven't truly embraced by His grace and by faith the words that He says. We haven't truly repented of our sins and surrendered all of our heart, all of our desires, and truly all of our life to His demands and His commands. Hear these words from Abraham Lincoln on June the 16th, 1858. He says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. Quoting from the book of Mark. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect that it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. And that is what Jesus is saying here in this text of Scripture. A house divided against itself cannot stand. You cannot have one foot in the world following your own heart, following sin, being in love with the things that Jesus gives and claim to be in love with Him and yet have no heart or desire to follow Him What Jesus is teaching here is the best social teaching that you will ever find in all of the world. It is masterful. 
But Jesus is ultimately not a teacher to admire or a miracle worker to wonder at. He is the Son of God to be obeyed, as He clearly says in this text. So this morning as we look at this text, I want to see it under three headings. First, two kinds of builders. Secondly, two kinds of storms. And lastly, two questions you must answer today. So number one, two kinds of builders. And I want to give you a couple of assumptions in this text. The first assumption is that everyone is building. There is no such thing as treading water in life. You can't put it off. You are building. You are building today. You cannot wait until later. You are building a life even right now as you listen to the Word of God. My second assumption is that everyone falls. Everyone in this room, everyone in the world falls into one of two categories. You are either wise with your life or you are foolish. Jesus says you are obedient or you are disobedient. There is nothing else. And you might say, well, where do you get this, preacher? I get it because Jesus gives no other option. He took the time at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached to give four pairs of examples. One of following Him and being obedient, and the other of not following Him and being disobedient. He is unmistakably clear about what He is saying in this passage. Look at the plain language that Jesus gives us about the two kinds of builders. In verse 24, He calls the first man, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, He calls this person wise. He goes on to say in verse 26, Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he calls that man foolish. This is plain language. There is wisdom and walking with Jesus and obeying Him, and there is foolishness, hearing Jesus' words and walking away from them and disobeying, laying them aside no differently than reading the best headlines in the news today or setting aside an email or a Facebook post. I can walk away from that. It doesn't change me. That is what Jesus calls foolishness. He says that the one who is wise has his foundation on the rock. What does Jesus mean? He is saying that the one who lives a life following and obeying Jesus is like someone who built a house and laid the foundation on bedrock stone. That is the person who follows Jesus. Or there is someone who builds a foundation on sand. They hear the words of Jesus and they don't do them. They walk away. So, number one, two kinds of builders. Number two, two kinds of storms. It says in verse 25, and then it repeats it again in verse 27, that the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. Both of the houses endured a storm. I believe there are two types of storms that you and I can and will endure. Jesus here is speaking of the reality of conflict that is coming. And it appears that according to Jesus, nobody is exempt from these. All of us will walk through them. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus said later, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Some may say to you, Jesus is a loving God. Jesus is the one who came and preached love. He did not come and preach division. Why is it that you stir it up in my heart? Why is it that you talk about things that speak to conflict and difficulty? Jesus came to bring peace. In His own words, Jesus said, I came to bring division, even division in families. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. The Gospel brings sometimes 
conflict. The violent storm differentiates between the two buildings. In the Old Testament, the storms sometimes serves as a symbol of God's judgment. In Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10, God is speaking to the prophets and saying, Woe to you who say to my people, Peace and safety and security, when there is no peace. You are like someone who builds a wall with untempered mortar, and when the storm comes, it crushes it. And everyone asks, Who built this wall? Who put this up here? He said, those of you who preach peace to my people when there is no peace with me are like the one who builds a wall and puts untempered mortar on it and it falls. Woe to you foolish prophets who preach peace for Jerusalem when there is none. No power was more certain to evoke fear in a pre-nuclear world than the unleashed fury of nature's violence. The symbol that Jesus uses is very clear and very apt for His hearers. What are the two kinds of storms? I said there are two, and that we all will walk through them. We all must walk through them. I think the first is real life. It's real life. It's day in and day out. It's everyday challenges and obstacles. It's a call or a text with some bad news. It's maybe money problems or relational issues. And the question about that kind of storm is, how do we respond? How do we receive it? I believe the wise person responds in faith. The wise person who walks according to Jesus' words, who is obeying Him, receives any of those things, any of the challenges or the obstacles or money problems or relational issues. He receives all of them in God's providence, clinging to the promises of Scripture, seeking the face of Jesus in the midst of it, and resting and trusting even when all the answers don't come. And dear ones, isn't it true that you don't have the answers sometimes at the beginning of a storm? He does not always give them. But Jesus promised that He would never leave His people. That means that you never walk through a storm in this life on your own. Though mom and dad or brother or sister or even husband or wife may be able to walk through it with you, maybe there is a reason why they can't. The Lord Jesus promises to be with you in the storms of life. But what does a foolish person do to these real issues in life? They respond in fear. They receive everything as punitive and personal about them. They're grasping at the air. They're not sure where to turn for guidance or advice. And they restlessly look for answers, relying only on emotions and their own strengths. And this is a setup for failure and heartache that lasts throughout life. So number one, the first storm is real life. Secondly, I believe the second storm that we will all walk through is final judgment. The clear teaching of Jesus in this section of Scripture is that He is the judge and one day He will sit on a judgment throne and by His declaration, some people will be ushered into heaven and others will be cast into hell. And if it isn't already clear from this text, the wise people... Those who obey Jesus are the ones who enter heaven. And the foolish people are the ones who are entered into hell. What would cause you and I to read this text and all the others that we've been reading and studying in the Sermon on the Mount? What would cause us to dismiss Jesus' words here in this final section? You might say, well, I don't believe hell exists. And there could be any number of reasons why you believe this is to be the case. 
Maybe it's because you're so attached to this temporal life or to your sin that even the threat of final and catastrophic judgment may not induce you to leave it. It would be foolish indeed to do it. But Jesus says here very plainly, very clearly, that there are many people who do. The real issue is the truth behind Jesus' warnings. Either there is a hell to be shunned or there is not. He speaks of hell twice as much as He does of heaven. Twice as much. And if Jesus emphasizes something, then His people, of all people, ought to be paying attention. The pages of the Bible strain metaphor and exhaust all the resources of language in describing the holy delights of heaven and the new earth that is still to come. But they scarcely do less in outlining the horrors and the terrors of hell. It is variously described as a place of outer darkness, the place where the worm will not die, the place where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. This is not an attempt to give the coordinates or plot hell on a map. These are the metaphors of Scripture for hell, a real place, and they are staggering. And whether you accept the existence of hell will depend in large part in your total estimate of the person and ministry of Jesus. And if you can dismiss Him, you will have little difficulty in dismissing hell. That is a scary thought. That I can go through this life and not have a thought or a glance or even a taste of what eternity might be like. And not even a care about it either. What Jesus is saying here is that if you claim to follow Him, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you cannot with integrity do so in a subjective way which avoids the inconvenient and the unpleasant. You might remember a few weeks ago, we read from the passage earlier in the book of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said that the way is narrow and difficult, and there are few that find it. And the way is broad and easy. That leads to destruction and there are many who are on that way. There is a part of suffering in the Christian life that we cannot wink at and say it's not true. It is true. Not everything is sunlight and rainbows. And not everything always turns out well in this world. Not even for Christians. We're not promised that. Jesus didn't promise a wonderful life now. He didn't promise the best for your finances or for your family or for all the circumstances to work out. It's just not true, and they don't. There is heartache here. Jesus is saying you were built for a different world, a different life with Him that transcends every pain you could ever endure here. All of them. Because of Him. So lastly, today, two questions that you must answer. It says in verses 28 to 29, And so it was when Jesus had ended these things that the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. What did Jesus claim in this sermon? It says in verse 24 and verse 26, From Jesus' own mouth, He said these sayings of Mine. And in the Greek, it's a little more wooden. He says, and those of you who hears me, these words of mine. Now the distinction is very small, and maybe you might call it a little bit semantic. But what Jesus is saying here, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you are hearing 
Him. You're not hearing a report about Him or something that somebody else said. These are Jesus' words. Nobody pared them down. Nobody changed them or took the rough edges off. This is Jesus speaking. What is it that Jesus is claiming in this sermon? Him speaking from His own mouth. He's claiming authority and sonship, equality with God. He is claiming to be in a position of judgment and a position to be able to meet out that judgment. In Jesus' day, the rabbis would quote older rabbis in order to speak with authority. But Jesus does not do this here. He actually doesn't do it in any of the Scriptures where His words are recorded. You remember Jesus would say to folks, You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Jesus is a legislator. He is not a commentator. He does not speak on someone else's authority. He speaks on His own. So, you need to answer that question. What is Jesus claiming in this sermon? In the book of John, chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that everything that was made was made by this Word, equal in power and authority with God the Father. That everything was made, that all of it belonged to Him and was under His authority and under His control. And when Jesus stood before Pilate in the book of John, later in the book of John, they're having a discussion in one of their most dramatic scenes in all of the Gospels. And Pilate asked him, Are you a king? And Jesus says, Are you asking me this, or did somebody else tell you to ask me? Do you really want to know, or were you just put up to it by other people? And they have an interesting conversation in John chapter 18. Hear the last phrase in John chapter 18 that Jesus said to Pilate. He asks him again, Are you a king then? And Jesus says, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And hear these hollow words from Pilate. And Pilate said to him in verse 38, What is truth? He asks the question, and if you know the passage, he doesn't wait for Jesus' answer. He turns around and walks off. And that question echoes down through the corridor of time to you and I today. What is truth? Is it what Jesus said and who He claimed to be? Or is it something else? The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. But to all who believed in Him and trusted in Him, He gave them the right, the authority, the power to be the children of God. Either Jesus is true and what He says is true, or He is a liar and you should dismiss Him outright. But you cannot look at Jesus and say, well, I sort of like what He says. Or He has a nice tone in His voice. Or the things that He says really does resonate with who I am and my experience. That is not enough, dear people of God. Who is it that Jesus claims to be? Because if He claims to be God, you have to level with that today. You can't lay that aside. And secondly... The second question that you must answer today, you must know solidly in your mind, is Jesus someone who may be admired from a distance or is He someone that must be obeyed? It says that the people 
marveled at what Jesus said because He spoke as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I've already told you I believe He spoke from His own authority because He is the legislator of truth. He doesn't comment on other people's claims. He states His own. Is Jesus someone you could admire? Someone you can like? Someone you can hope to pattern your life after? Or is He someone that you must bow down to and obey and worship and devote all of your life and all of your energy and everything that you are to Him? And this is no matter what your vocation. This isn't just the Gospel for preachers. This is the Gospel for God's people. Either He is Lord of all of your life or He is not Lord at all in your life. Christianity is not simply a moralistic religion of high ideals. The Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus giving us good teaching, though it has that. It presents a crucified yet risen Savior who forgives repentant men and women and then gives them the life to grow to meet the ideals of the kingdom. All that He said here, beginning in chapter 5 all the way to the end of chapter 7 that we are reading today, He's giving you the ethics of the kingdom. And what you should see rising in your heart is a holy fear before a holy God. I can't live up to that on my own. I'm not poor in spirit. I'm not a peacemaker. I would rather rile things up and get a rise out of my neighbor or my wife or my friends. And the sermon reflects no malicious glee at the prosperity of perdition. I told you that Jesus spoke twice as much about hell as He did about heaven. He has no cheer in consigning so many to destruction. The warning is in fact His entreaty. And may God grant His people a spirit of contritious posture before Him that petitions Him for grace and forgiveness by Jesus Christ and a growing desire for conformity to the norms of His kingdom. I'll say again, the sermon ends that the people were amazed because He taught with authority. Not appealing to some authority as humans do, but as being the authority, the author of life Himself. Perhaps that is part of coming to Him today for you and for me. Part of the necessary recognition of His authority. And may God in His mercy grant that we will not stop at mere amazement at the person of Jesus or the ethics of His kingdom, but press on to that deeply rooted commitment that we will sing in just a moment. That God would give us grace to cry out, Lord, be Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. May those words be truer today in your heart than they were yesterday. And may the Lord Jesus be the most beautiful, blessed Savior you have ever known. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we have the Sermon on the Mount in front of us. And the pressing question on each of our hearts and minds is, will we submit to You? Will we obey? Lord, I pray that as we think about that answer, as we think about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that we won't look in ourselves for that answer. Lord, may we be drawn to the well that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the endless well, that we would see, yes, Lord, You are the truth, the way, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by You. And Lord, as we think about following You and wanting to be a good Christian in this world, Lord, I pray that we would not find in ourselves the strength to do it, weak as we are, 
But Lord, may we find the strength in you and grace as we cry out to you singing this song in just a moment. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 642, Be Thou My Vision.
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we dedicate our tithes and our offerings to you now. As we pray, Lord, that you would use these for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel throughout all of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would also be with us, that we would look to you to provide for our own financial needs as the rest of your children do. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to not have our hearts fancied away by the things of this world. And may our eyes look to you to be our God, our provider, our Father, and our true close friend. In Jesus' name, amen. of our Lord. Now the eternal God who is your refuge, be a rock that is beneath you, the tower that is around you, the shelter that is above you this day and all the days until Jesus comes. Amen. Amen.